0: Here we are at the 14th chapter of John, two-thirds of the way through this gospel that we've been studying together. In the first 11 chapters of John, we saw glimpses of Jesus and his ministry, a ministry that lasted three and a half years. And they really were just glimpses because John himself says in the very last verse of this this gospel that uh, all the books in the world couldn't contain what Jesus did for us. Then starting with John 12, those final 10 chapters cover those last few hours of Jesus' life and ministry before the cross. In the 13 chapters we've looked at thus far, we've seen Jesus perform seven miracles. We've listened to his various dialogues, like with Nicodemus, we've witnessed various encounters, like with the woman at the well, we've read about the opposition and cruel treatment that Jesus experienced along the way, and of course, that's only just getting started as we continue into the Gospel of John. We'll see a lot more of that, unfortunately. We've also witnessed firsthand Jesus' compassion and love as well as his rebukes that always came from a heart of love. Throughout all of this, Jesus came to show us the Father and his love for us. He said there in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father in me. So when Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, knowing what we have learned about Jesus through these first 13 chapters of John and in our own daily walk with him, I think I want to keep following him. How about you? Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we, we pray that you'll send us your spirit and impress us with what we need to know and and to do as your disciples in these last days of earth's history. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as this gospel moves into the final hours of Jesus' life, we read last week in John 13 that Jesus' goal and objective was not to look out for himself, but to love his disciples to the very end, and to prepare his disciples for what was to come. That preparation is found there, starting with John 13 through John 17. Actually, the preparation started the day Jesus called the disciples, but now it gets serious. Now it goes up a few notches. And the most important thing those disciples needed to learn, and you and I need, is, that, is to have that humble and surrendered heart. Jesus challenged his disciples to love one another as he loved them. This is a new love in that it, it's not, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, if you invite me to your home for lunch, I'll invite you to my home for lunch. It's not, I'll love you the way I'd like you to love me, you know, the, the golden rule. No, this is a love on steroids. This is loving others the way Jesus loved us and loves us. A total, sacrificial, selfless love that pushes agape to the limit. And Jesus demonstrated that love, of course, in in last week's uh, chapter that Chris shared with us so beautifully concerning the ordinance of humility that Christ shared with with the disciples. Of course, in that first ordinance of humility, the humility was all Jesus. (laughs) While the disciples were around the table, you know, jockeying for position in the kingdom that they were hoping Jesus was about to establish, meanwhile, Jesus was humbling himself and committing himself at that supper to give his life and to be our savior. You see, Jesus was dealing with much greater things than an earthly kingdom. He was dealing with the the kingdom that would last forever. He came to make a way for us to get out of this dead end of a world. Then, of course, Judas abruptly leaves that supper to carry out his plot to betray Jesus, and and then Jesus turns his attention to Peter to try to prepare him for the evening he was about to have, (laughs) denying him three times. And then almost in mid-sentence, here we are, John 14. I'm sure you're aware that chapter divisions and punctuation is all man-made, you know, so we can be able to break up the Bible and read it in, in portions, but sometimes they don't always get it right. But here... Really, John 13 just carries right into John 14, the same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And and almost in mid-sentence, we come to those beautiful verses that we probably all memorized, and we're going to get to them in just a minute. But, But if you compare the chronology of the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke with that of the Gospel of John, what we have is the Last Supper, of course, shows up, in all the synoptic chapters, and, and it's referred to in chapter 13 of John last week, and, and then we have the prediction by Jesus of Peter's denial showing up in all four of the Gospels, and then there is no gap before Matthew, Mark, and Luke go right into Jesus' Gethsemane experience and, and the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. But over here in, in John's Gospel that we're studying, there's a four-chapter interlude before John finally gets to Gethsemane and, and the betrayal of Jesus. And so John 14 through 17 is like extra stuff. It's not mentioned in the other gospels. Where would we be without some of these beautiful discourses that Jesus shares and John writes for us? It's like last minute preparation in these four chapters before all everything starts to break loose. And, and to help those disciples out, Jesus takes time with them and I'm glad John shared it with us because we're living in some crazy times too and we need those four chapters as well. In fact, I think they're perfect preparation for last day events. If you wanted to start a course on last day events, John 14 and 17 is a good place to start. In those four chapters, Jesus presents himself as the way to the Father and the way to life. That is, that's in the first half of John 14. Then he promises us the Holy Spirit. In the second half of John 14. Then in the first half of John 15 we have that beautiful discourse on the vine and the branches and Jesus helping us to understand we've got to stay connected if we're going to get anywhere. Then in the second half of John 15 Jesus braces us for the hatred that those disciples would experience and we are experiencing lots of religious persecution towards Christians in our world today. Look at all the crazy rioting and the the love of many waxing cold in our world around us, the killing and looting. In chapter 16, Jesus unpacks the, the Holy Spirit uh, more to the disciples, and then he comes to that prayer before the prayer, John 17. Before he prays that three-part Gethsemane gut-wrenching prayer, let this cup pass for me. Jesus first prays that intercessory prayer where he pours out his heart in love for his disciples, in love for the world, as he shares with his Father. Boy, we need these four chapters as we prepare for what is to come in these times we're living in. So again, almost mid-sentence, with all that the disciples were about to go through and all that we're going through, I think we need these next words from Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, but 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 how how can we not be troubled, Lord, with a pandemic that won't let go, with an economic turn uh, downturn that's hitting the whole world, with, with a sky high national debt, this illustrated on this national debt clock, approaching 27 trillion dollars. I just blew up that part of the clock for you. That if every man, woman, and child were to pay their part per capita. It would be $80,000 for each of us. And and if you're a family of four, well, that's $320,000. Thank you very much. And now with the crime rate going sky high, doubling, quadrupling all around our country in the midst of these riots, in a push to defund the police and to emasculate law enforcement, making our neighborhoods less safe than ever, let not your heart be troubled. Yes, let not your heart be troubled. How? Jesus, I think, is saying here, look, it's going to get bad. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But in all of this, let not your heart be troubled, because I'm coming to get you. I will come again. Because of all the stress and strain we've been under for six months, I thought we would just really focus on these three verses. We're going to touch on other parts of John 14, a beautiful chapter. But, uh, but I like the timing of John 14 showing up when we need it just as we're beginning school, just as we're trying to get back going to some kind of sense of normalcy, because of all the stress and strain we've been under, how about we just, just relax and enjoy the fact that Jesus can tell us in the midst of all this, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus really is coming again. Every four years, a grand ceremony takes place on the west porch of the U.S. Capitol on January 20th. On that day in the United States of America, someone is sworn in as president. In that inaugural ceremony, if you were to look over the Capitol Mall from the steps of the Capitol past the Washington Monument, that obelisk you can see at the top of the screen, and go past that to the Lincoln Memorial, that's how big this mass of people. Somewhere around 800,000, one out of every 40 US citizens is gathered in that mall to witness this inauguration, this installation of the President of the United States. If you've ever been to an inauguration and and had a view of the festive occasion and all the excitement associated with it, it still would not even begin to compare to the vantage point that John the Revelator had as he beheld in panoramic view a vision of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. High atop that porch of prophecy, located on that volcanic rock called Patmos, John, breathless and caught up in vision, said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him. And this Saint John recorded for us the words of Jesus as he assured his disciples, I will come again and receive you to myself. You know, of course, that John the Revelator is also John the Gospel writer probably wrote these books maybe 10 years apart, who knows for sure. The Holy Spirit inspired John to share both of these wonderful writings and, and those three epistles as well. Now, if, if you've ever had the privilege of being at the inauguration of a, of a U.S. president, from the west porch of the U.S. Capitol, you would have seen the newly elected president arriving via a stretch limousine. But from the porch of prophecy on that Isle of Patmos, John saw the Lord Jesus arrive at the appointed hour riding on a cloud, a cloud of angels actually. From the west porch of the U.S. Capitol, they witnessed the President of the United States being sworn in. But from the porch of prophecy, John saw the inauguration of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From the west porch of the U.S. Capitol, they saw the President and the Bride you know, taking that traditional march, that walk from the Capitol to the White House via Pennsylvania Avenue. But from the porch of prophecy on the Isle of Patmos, John saw King Jesus strolling with his bride, the church, along Hallelujah Avenue on a parade route that moves past the great white throne. From the west porch of the US Capitol, you could hear the Supreme Court Justice call the president by all his names as he's about to be sworn in as Ronald Wilson Reagan or George Herbert Walker Bush or William Jefferson Clinton or George Walker Bush, or Barack Hussein Obama, or Donald John Trump. But from his vantage point on the porch of Prophecy, there on the Isle of Patmos, John heard the boy child of Mary called by his names and titles. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty, the King of the nations. He is the line of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He is the bright and morning star. He is the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the light of the world, the bread of life. He is the son of man, the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the rock of ages. He is the wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And in the chapter we're studying this week, he is the way to go, the truth to know, and the life worth living. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. From his vantage point on the Isle of Patmos, John parked at the the drive-in of the apocalypse was allowed by the Most High God to gaze upon that giant screen of prophecy and view the most glorious event in the history of mankind, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of glory. Look, John said, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. I wonder as John, exiled on that prison island, called Patmos, I wonder if he thought about the time much earlier in his life when he heard Jesus say to him, let not your heart be troubled, I will come again. As John got to live up in age a little more than the rest of the disciples, commentators say maybe 80, 90 years of age, unlike the rest of the disciples who died early because of martyrdom, when trials came his way, when he was sitting in that pot of boiling oil that should have taken him out, I just wonder how many times he thought back to that peaceful moment before that time, but before he got relegated to a prison island, that time before the diaspora when the the Christians were scattered through the persecution that took place, and and the time before his fellow disciples got picked off one by one, and that time before the betrayal and arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. How many times did John replay that quiet, peaceful moment where Jesus, with love, looked right into the eyes of John and the rest of the disciples and says, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, you thought events like you know, presidential inaugurations or the coronation of an earthly king or, or royal weddings were, were something to behold. Ha! Huh. Wait till you see King Jesus breaking through the clouds, writing in on a cloud of a hundred million angels. A hundred million. By the way, that's 10,000 times 10,000. But, but then the verse goes on and says, and thousands of thousands. Well, how do you calculate that number? <laughs> While well, we attempt you know, to create a lot of pomp and circumstance and we get all caught up in the glorifying of man and having big parties and celebrating accomplishments, My focus and my hope is the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the hope of every born-again child of God. It is what enables us to endure pandemics and terror attacks and, and all the trials that we're called on to bear. The certainty of Jesus' coming is what enables us to experience the uncertainty of the events around us and to not fall back. We stand tall and we stand firm because we know that soon he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He will come just at the right time. Like a magnet, the hope and reality of the second coming of Christ lifts the heart of the believer out of this world. The second coming of Jesus lifts us out of this dark world and puts us in high places, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So let's let our conversation, our thoughts be that direction. As Seventh-day Adventists, we look forward to the glorious, literal, visible, audible return of Jesus. This is the only solution for this troubled world that we live in. We look forward with eager anticipation to Jesus fulfilling his promise, I will come again. Now, some folks have wondered about the change in the name of Park Ridge Health, where I serve as a chaplain. And the four to eight others within our hospital system that had their name changed. Imagine no Florida hospital anymore, Advent Health. But I kind of like it because, you know, before we, we found, come up with, came up with our name, Seventh day Adventist, we were first known as the Advent Movement. So I like Advent Health. Now we have another system of 20 hospitals on the West Coast with the name Adventist Health, and so we have two systems proclaiming the Advent. I like to remind our employees that Advent in our name stands not for the advent of health, although that's kind of catchy. Advent at the beginning of our name is a reminder that the only permanent solution to the health care needs of our community is the coming of Jesus. Advent simply means coming. And so it's a reminder, a quiet reminder, that we believe in the Advent. Not just the first Advent, but the second Advent as well. We try not to think you know too much about it, especially when you work in a, in a hospital system, but, but the death rate around the world is kind of held steady for, for 6,000 years. By the way, this thing called death has not been around for, for eons of time like, like uh, evolution scientists would, would try to tell us. It has only been since the fall, because of the fall, because of sin, that death has come about. And, and this death rate continues to hover right at a a hundred percent, except for Enoch and Elijah. So I guess it's 99.99999, and just keep on going. Um, the only solution to this terrible death rate and the sin problem and all the sadness that comes with it, the only permanent solution is the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming is what makes us tick as Adventists. It is the most sanctifying subject in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we are reminded that Jesus is coming again. But none of it says it better than those first three verses of John chapter 14. Would you repeat those words with me? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. i go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this, this is one of those passages I learned as a young person, memorized it in the King James Version, and, and, and so that word mansions, you know, shows up. I know in the Greek the word is monae, literally means to abide or, or a place of abiding. So rather than some fancy mansion, Jesus is assuring us of dwelling with God, abiding in him, and the closeness and warmth that comes with no more separation caused by sin. I know that, and I'm I'm grateful for it, but but I didn't grow up in the Biltmore. So it was kind of fun envisioning, you know, those mansions that Jesus was building for me and my brother and sister, because they were definitely gonna live in separate mansions, you know. I know it's a little materialistic to get all caught up in, in this thing called mansions, but, but I also know that when we get there, we're not gonna be staying in some rundown Motel 6. When we get there, we're not gonna ask, now, who, who made the reservations? This is it? Uh, when we get there, we're not gonna ask for a refund. What a day that will be. By the way, let me ask you a question. As we've just read these verses, has Jesus come yet? Well, that's a dumb question, preacher. Um, So has Jesus received those disciples he said those words to 2,000 years ago? Not yet, because he hasn't come yet. It's at his coming that he receives those disciples and receives us. So there's no receiving us at death. It's not in the Bible. In fact, how many times do you find the phrase in the Bible, gone to be with the Lord? Now you hear it all the time among our Christian friends, and I respect that as a chaplain when people tell me, their loved ones has gone to be with the Lord. I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I just support them in their walk. Don't try to take them down my walk. But, but how many times does this phrase show up in the Bible? Let's try uh, zero. Instead, it will be one great reunion when Jesus comes again. What a blessed hope for those who have died in Christ. <laughs> Jesus said he would raise them up at the last day when he comes again. The hour is coming, Jesus said, in which all that are in their graves will hear his voice and will will come forth. Those who have done good until the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil until the resurrection of damnation. What a resurrection day that will be. Well, Well, the first one at least. Imagine waking up and discovering you woke up a thousand years too late at the wrong resurrection. But, you know, we don't have to worry about that because we, we can make certain that it doesn't happen if we'll just follow the instructions. John 3.16, quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. Amen. Praise God. If we believe in Jesus, we get eternal life in a place of perfect peace and health and happiness. Eternal life. But wait a minute. The rest of this promise said uh, if we don't believe in Jesus, if we don't accept God, if we don't let him live in our lives, uh, then we get unending flames? No, that's not what it said, did it? Do we, do we go to a place where God will torture, fry, and barbecue us unendingly for zillions and trillions of years and then we'll tell God, okay, it's time to turn her over. Turn my mother over and let's burn her another trillion, zillion years if she happens not to make it. Is that a God of love that could do that kind of thing? No, it's eternal life or you perish. The flames are real and they're hot enough that they do the job because God is a God of justice and a God of love and mercy. I just like the fact that the former things will will pass away Someday, when Jesus comes that third time, when the millennium is over and, and, and wickedness is put away for, forever, the good news is that Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon to take us home. And he's not playing hard to get. Whosoever will, Jesus says, can live for eternity. When Jesus comes, it will be suddenly, unexpectedly, either a pleasant surprise or an unpleasant surprise. Depending on your choices, what will it be for you? But it will not be a secret snatching or rapturing. Instead, every eye will see Jesus when he comes. As he openly raptures or gathers the saints in a rescue that will be too spectacular to be kept secret or hidden. When I was a prison chaplain, one of our units got taken hostage by some of our inmates, and I just missed being a hostage myself. I just left that unit, came home, turned on the news, and there was my prison. So I went back and started supporting the families as they came to to want to know what was happening with their loved ones, because 11 of my co-workers were being held hostage for 11 days. And then the hostage rescue team showed up from Quantico, Virginia. They took over the chapel and had their machine guns sitting on my, my, um, my desk there, and so I stayed out of my office for 11 days, let them do their thing, and I was there that night, because I was the new chaplain on the totem pole, so I got the night shift for 11, 11 nights, and, and I watched that, that hostage rescue team fly across our compound after they practiced at another prison to make sure they were going to do it right. They came and they blew down that, that prison door and, and rescued our co-workers and uh, brought you know, clarity and uh, law and order back to our prison. I can't look forward to the day. But the reason I tell you that story is because I saw the reunion. I saw the families with their loved ones gathered together, and the tears as they got to be with their loved ones, afraid they weren't going to ever see them again. It's going to be quite a gathering. when every eye will see Jesus, and we'll all be gathered together to experience eternity with Jesus. The whole sky will be filled with millions of angels when Jesus comes. It will be like the noonday sun. His coming will be as visible as lightning shining across a pitch black night, turning night into day. And what about ear protection? When Jesus comes with the shout of the Lord and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, I think we'll be reaching for our earplugs if we're not saved. If we're part of God's children, believers in him, I think... That, that strong voice of God and, and the um, trumpets blowing will be melodious to our ears. And what an amazing laser light show will take place like none you've ever seen as we're all gathered to go home with Jesus. The creator will call forth his sleeping saints from the grave and when he comes, he will come triumphantly, no more a man of sorrows but now as king of kings and lord of lords. As the graves start popping open all over the place then we have those reassuring words, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Have you ever tried to really comprehend the word ever? Can can you imagine eternity? Billions and trillions and zillions of years, and that's just the beginning. Do you think you'll get bored with all that time in your hands? Not hardly. No time to get bored. From the very last page of that fantastic and timely book, The Great Controversy, we read, and the years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. As Jesus opens before them the riches of redemption, and the amazing achievements and the great controversy with Satan, the hearts of the ransomed will thrill with more fervent devotion, and with more rapturous joy they sweep the harps of gold, and ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands and thousands of voices unite to swell the mighty chorus of praise. Don't you dare miss it. We really can't begin to comprehend what God has prepared for us. And it will all happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet when Jesus comes. For you and me, the coming of our blessed Lord means no more heartaches, no more aches and pains, no more sadness, no more disappointments or frustrations or anxiety attacks, no more hunger or thirst, no more criminals or crime, no more sickness or death. His coming means we shall walk those streets of gold and stand upon the sea of glass, bow low before the great white throne, sit at the welcome table, feast on milk and honey, run and never get tired, talk with our favorite prophets and Bible characters, and tell the angels how how we got there. You say, what? What would you just say? "Eh, Talk about how we got there? (laughs) No. Can you imagine getting there and saying, I got to heaven because I gave a lot of money to the church. Can you imagine getting there and saying, I got here because of my perfect attendance or or my stellar obedience. No, we'll all cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus and exclaim it was the blood of the Lamb that gained us entrance into those pearly gates. Of course, because we love him, because he first loved us, that's why we naturally want to follow Jesus. But the point I'm getting to is when we get there, We will say, heaven is cheap enough. When Ellen White had a vision about being in heaven, she said, we tried to call up our greatest trials, (laughs) but they looked so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us that we we, we could not even speak them out. And we all cried out, hallelujah, heaven is cheap enough. And we touched our golden harps and made heaven's arches ring. Imagine what that day will be like when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes, there'll be no more rich versus poor, no more luxury right next to starvation, no more hospitals or sickness, no more cancer or growing old, no more calorie counting or dieting, no more political campaigns. Can I hear an amen? No more heartaches or headaches, no more power struggles or control freaks, No more ISIS or terrorism. No more loneliness or depression. No more cruelty or abuse of any kind. No more grief or sadness. No more racism or rioting. No more wearing masks or dealing with pandemics. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. In our trials and tribulations, we find comfort in the sure hope of our Lord's return. We know that our trials will not last forever. Everything you're going through right now is temporary. Amen. Our troubles will soon be over. Jesus is the ultimate problem solver. You like hanging, hanging around problem solvers? Jesus is the, the ultimate. Our job is simply to hang on. In fact, not just hang on, but it's our privilege to spread the good news until that, that last day. But for those who have chosen not to enter into a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, his coming will be the, a time of sheer terror. John the Revelator in vision said he saw the lost praying to rocks and mountains to fall on them. Can you imagine praying for boulders to crush you? You've got to be out of your mind. It will be a terrible time for those who haven't chose to let Jesus be their Savior and Lord. But on the other hand, when we live a life of surrender to Jesus, nothing is impossible. In fact, from our chapter we've been reading this week, Jesus said, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. I mean, talk about a blank check. Jesus went on to say, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He went on to say, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And manifest myself to him. Jesus gave the disciples and he gives to us the gift that will finish the work of spreading the gospel. So he can come and take us home. And it's right here in John 14. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Then after sharing with the disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives them and he offers to us today a gift that will sustain us till he comes again. Say it with me, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. After once again informing those disciples of his soon departure, He gives them the reason for sharing with them a a heads-up regarding the troubles they and we would be called on to endure. He said, and now I have told you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe. Jesus never leaves us in the dark, does he? He he comforts us with his spirit. He leads us into all truth. He gives us his peace that passes all understanding. And all this keeps and sustains us until the day when Jesus breaks through the clouds to rescue us. Look, look, he says, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And Jesus himself says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He really is coming again. I see him riding on a white horse. His name is called Faithful and True. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood that he spilled for you, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven are there with him, riding on those white horses. He's coming for you and for me. He really is coming. And if you look closely, you can see on his vesture his name, which is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He really is coming. Much of the world scoffs at the idea of Jesus coming, and we were forewarned that it would happen, but God will have the last laugh. What he says he will do, and he said, I will come again. Lift up the trumpet, loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, ye pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. From their vantage point on that west porch of the U.S. Capitol, those who have looked out on that vast mall with thousands in attendance, at the last inauguration could witness all the excitement that accompanied the beginning of a a four-year term of office for our president. But for John the Revelator on that porch of prophecy there at the apocalyptic drive-in on the Isle of Patmos, John's vision of the coming of Jesus was not for a four-year term. But Jesus shall reign forever. As our Redeemer and our friend, he's coming. He really is coming. And the Bible doesn't say to, to get ready. Oh, yeah, that's something I need to do. Let me, let me put that on my list. Let me think about getting ready. No, the Bible says, be ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. A Scottish preacher one time asked his friends at the town square, do you think Jesus could come tonight? And one by one, they said in their, their Scottish brogue, I, I think not, I think not, I think not. And that preacher said back to them, In the hour that ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to accept his invitation and to come to him, to accept his grace, his forgiveness, his pardon, his love. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. I invite you to come to him today. Because we don't know about tomorrow, but we know today the Spirit is speaking to us. He is coming for you, he really is coming. Echo it, hilltops, proclaim it ye plains, Jesus is coming again. Ready or not, he's coming. He came once to be slain for us, this time he's coming in glory. Jesus is coming again. Look, John says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. You can stand on the promises that Jesus made to his disciples. And you can stand on this one for sure, when Jesus said, I will come again. As Seventh-day Adventists, we have this hope, hope in the coming of the Lord. Would you sing with me a little chorus as we close our service? And let it be a, a dedication song in your heart as we remain seated and sing, Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King.
1: Soon and very soon We are going to see the King Soon and very soon We are going to see the King Soon and very soon We are going to see the King king. Hallelujah, hallelujah We're going to see the King No more crying there We are going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. No more dying there. We are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King.
0: Where will you be when Jesus comes? Will you be calling for rocks and mountains to fall on you? Or will you be looking up and saying, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him and he will save us. Lo, this is the Lord. We've waited for him. We'll be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What will it be for you when Jesus returns? Ready or not, here he comes.
1: Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him.
0: Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I will come again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we can't wait for your son's soon coming. And yet we want it to come at the right time. We want it to happen at the right time. We want every possible soul to make their decision for you. And so on that grand and glorious day when Jesus does come, may we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of thy Lord. Come ye blessed of the Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Lord. We are unworthy, but we thank you for your grace. And though we have earned nothing but the wages of sin, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, with the love of many waxing cold, with nation rising against nation, with everything turned upside down, and religious persecution at an all-time high, we, we know this all points to the fact that our redemption draweth nigh. And so we look up and we see our Redeemer coming. Like John in vision, we know his coming is soon. Thank you, Lord, for coming to rescue us. I pray for every person here today and everyone listening online that we will make that decision, not harden our hearts, but open our hearts to the Spirit's leading. Lord, may the cross break our heart once again, and we give our hearts to you because you love us with an everlasting love and want to spend eternity with us. And so we pray these things while we live in a hurting world, praying in Jesus' name for Jesus to come. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our benediction today comes from the very last page of the Bible. Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. And say that final prayer that we find in the Bible. Let's say it all together here. Amen. Amen. Even Even so, come, come, Lord Lord Jesus. Jesus.
1: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.
0: Amen.